Welcome to the Impact Church Aurora podcast. We pray that this week's message encourages you, engages you, and equips you to make an impact in the world around you. Now, get ready to receive the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you've allowed us to come together to worship you, to seek you today, Father. Today we're going to seek you, Father, in spirit and in truth. So we're allowing your spirit to be in this place and in this place today, Daddy. We rejoice, Father, with the people that just accepted you for the first time. We rejoice, Lord, that their lives will never be the same because it's no longer going to be about them. It's going to be all about you. We give you praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Uh, hallelujah. We can go ahead and um, head back to our seats. We're going to go ahead and, and get uh, started with the service. And Praise and worship team, what an amazing job to really just set the atmosphere. Hallelujah. You know, as I, as I was sitting in the back, I was just kind of thinking how when you accept Christ into your life, He truly does become your everything. You know, tomorrow um, would have been my dad's 84th birthday. You know, my dad went to be with the Lord 12 years ago. And as I was sitting back there, I'm just kind of thinking and reminiscing. And for the last 12 years that my dad has been gone, he's been with the Lord, I'm, I just, I've just had my daddy take care of me, my heavenly father. If you ever hear me pray, you always hear me refer to the Lord as daddy. Because that's who he is to me. It's like, I have that personal relationship with him that I can just say, Daddy, Daddy, take care of me. <laughs> daddy, Daddy, I love you. Because that's who he is to me. So I just rejoice in the fact that we may go through losses in life, but we don't have to be lost. <laughs> because our Daddy, our Daddy loves us and he is with us. Amen. Hallelujah. If you don't know me, my name is uh, Beto Ortega. I am one of the pastors here at, at Impact Church. Uh, Pastor Jamin's actually teaching in CIA today. He's ministering to our children. And you know what? One of the things that I admire about Pastor Jamin is the level of involvement and investment that not only does he has in all of you here, but also with our children, our youth. Tonight we have our youth united. Pastor Olga and Pastor Jamin do an amazing job and just not just wanting to get the youth from Impact Church getting suited for not only for the world, but for the Lord. But we do such an amazing job at being able to just try to get the city of Aurora to get involved in that. So we got that going on tonight. And I'm just thankful for, for our pastors. Pastor Olga, we've been childhood friends for such a long time. And, uh, you know, just like my, my little sister, I looked out for her as my little sister. And just as a big brother, I would tell on her. Mama, Mama knows that I would always be telling on on Olga, some, somehow Mama would always find out, and I think I was like a snitch. I should, have, I, I should put like a 6'9 right here, yeah, right? <laughs> so I was always snitching. Um, but that's, 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 a, that's a different story. I'm also so thankful for, for my family, my wife. My, my sister's actually here, so I'm so thankful. My niece is here, and, and um, I have a niece from Mexico that's visiting here today, and 
I'm just so, so th- well, she's here all the week, so I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that, and it's always so thankful for my beautiful bride. That's always an encouragement. Um, she, uh, she's like the second Holy Spirit to me, because <laughs> she's always like checking me, you know, and uh, making sure that I'm, I'm, I'm following in the straight, straight and narrow, amen? So today my assignment is to go ahead and close out the series for the CrossFit series. Pastor Jamin started the series by defining fit as suited for the task, proper and decent, capable of surviving the environment, ready and willing to sacrifice morally, mentally, and physically fit. In simple terms, a fit person is one that is prepared to handle the task that is ahead of them. And when we think about fit, right, we think about a person that's, you know, physically fit, looking really, really muscular, really, you know, fit, you know. And I think that all of us at some point, we want to get fit, right? In principle, it sounds like a great idea, amen? But the reality is that many of us actually lack the discipline to be able to carry it out. Why do you guys think that we lack the discipline? You know, and I think that there's many different reasons, right? If I was to go down the road and ask you guys, hey, why did you not do what you said that you were going to do at the beginning of the year, right? Everybody will have different reasons, different excuses, all valid, but we all have different reasons why we don't do the things that we said that we were going to do. And that kind of reminds me of what Pastor Jeff Becker would always say, you know, you do what you want to do, right? And I think that if it's important to us, we make the effort to do it. Sometimes we think it's a good idea, but for some reason or another, we just can't seem to be able to carry through with our goals. Sometimes we can't be disciplined enough to do the things that matter the most to us. When I tell people that I run marathons, people generally ask me the same question or basically say the same things like, how do you do that? I could never do that. And my answer is basically the same, right? I do it one mile at a time. Sometimes it's one step at a time. But the reality of things, the truth is, is, is that the idea of running 26 point miles definitely feels daunting and even intimidating. But you know what? If you break it down and you put a plan together, and you're consistent executing it, trust me, you will get there. You know, and I say this with all the respect in the world. This year when I ran the marathon, you see people of all different shapes, sizes, colors, ages. And sometimes you see you look to your right or to your left, and you're like, I can't believe that person is passing me. <laughs> right? Because it all comes down to one thing. It's just that if you put a plan together, you execute it, you will get there. But it takes discipline, amen? But in order to stay consistent, there's got to be more than just convincing yourself to start an 18-week program, going out for runs three to four times a week, and a long run on Saturday, watching your diet, staying hydrated, stretching, and doing all the things that are necessary to be able to do a long run or, or get ready for a long run. Your motivation for running has to go beyond the activities that you are performing. And get this, your motivation has to come from the person that you want to become. 
and not just the activity that you want to complete. Amen? I'm going to say it again. Your motivation has to come from the person that you want to become and not just the activity that you want to complete. Amen? My wife asked me a really, really good question. She asked me, are you a runner because you run or do you run because you are a runner? Let me ask you another question. Are you a Christian because you go to church? Or do you go to church because you are a Christian? There's a difference there, okay? And I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get there, amen? See, many people begin the process of trying to be disciplined by focusing on what they want to achieve, right? We start that, 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 that process. We start focusing on the things or the activity that we want to achieve. When we take this approach, it leads us to an outcome-based habit or activity that we start performing, right? When we take this approach, what do you think that happens once you reach a result? Say, for example, you got a wedding to go to, right? And you want to be able to fit into that dress. What do you think you're going to do? You may, you may exercise, you may diet, you may do certain things in order for you to get yourself to fit into that dress. Like Kevin, I'm just kidding, Kevin. Um, but once you get to that place, what do you think, what do you think is going to happen after the wedding? You're probably just going to not be as careful at, at what you were doing before, right? That's because that's based on the result that you are trying to achieve. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. See, the alternative, the alternative is to build a discipline or habits around what? Your identity. Amen? When we do this, we start focus by focusing on who we wish to become. This is more of a continuous process than just a one and done. This is something that you're going to carry on for the rest of your life. Amen? Like right now, I look at Miss Stacy. Miss Stacy, a few years back, she took on the journey of weight loss, but she didn't do it just because she wanted to lose weight. It became part of her identity. And it's not, it wasn't just weight loss. It was healthy eating. There's a big difference, right? And that's why you see her a few years later, and she's still doing well. She's not only doing well, she's encouraging and teaching other people to do the same. Amen? Yeah, and you deserve a hand, sis, because it, it was not a one and done. That became part of your identity. Amen? Amen? But the ultimate way of, of really staying motivated, again, is when that activity becomes part of your identity. You know what? It's one thing to say that I'm a, the type of person who wants this. It's a completely different thing to say that I am the type of person who is this. Amen? And I'm going to go ahead and give you a quick example. Kevin and, and um, Daisy, want to go ahead and uh, start off our example. Say, for example, that both Kevin and Daisy are trying to quit smoking, okay? Both of them are. You know, they, they're not smokers. I'm just an an example, all right? Kevin, would you like a smoke? No, I'm trying to quit. No, I am trying to quit. That sounds pretty reasonable, right? The problem with this is, is that Kevin has not had 
a change in his identity. He still believes in his heart, even though he's trying to quit, he still believes in his heart that he is a smoker, trying to think that his behavior is going to change who he is. Well, let's see what Daisy has to say. Daisy, would you like to smoke? No, I'm not a smoker. No, I am not a smoker. You see, the difference is very small. But the difference here is, is that Daisy is already saying, you know what? That used to be part of my identity. That is no longer who I am. And for that reason, she has identity change. I mean, who, who do you guys think is going to be more successful? Who's not going to stop at the gas station and, and buy a pack of smokes? <laughs> Daisy is, right? You guys may have a seat. Again, true behavior change is identity change. Amen? If you want to be a disciplined Christian, what do you have to do? You got to change your identity. You got to change who you are. You may start something because of motivation, but the only reason why you're going to stick with it is why? Because you be, it's because it becomes part of your identity. But you know what? Those improvements that we do only really become temporary until they truly do become part of who you are. Let me ask you a question. What do you want to become? Let me scratch that. Who do you want to become? Because there's a difference there, right? Say, for example, if you're, the goal is not to read a book. What is the goal? Not necessarily just finishing it, but to become a reader. The goal is not to run a race. What is the goal? Is to become a runner. The goal is not to learn an instrument. What's the goal? Become a musician. The goal is not just to read the Bible. The goal is to become a transformed Christian. Amen? See, there's a big difference there, and that's the problem. The reason why many of us have a problem reading the Word is because of why? We just look at it as an activity. We're not looking at it as something that's going to help us transform and change who we are. Right? And as long as we look at the Bible and everything else associated with spiritual disciplines that way, our life is always going to be the same and nothing will ever change. And we're going to be going through the same battles, the same struggles, and we're going to be living in the same bondages because we're not allowing the Word to come and transform our identity. We're just doing things for the sake of doing things. Amen? And this is when we start getting into our spiritual treadmill, right? We think that we're doing, we think that we're doing, but we're not going anywhere. Amen? You know, as a runner, there's a big difference between running on a treadmill and running outside. I hate running on a treadmill because you're there 30, 40, 50 minutes, 60 minutes. Uh, and then you're like, I got to watch like something or I got to listen to something because I just can't be there for that amount of time. Whereas when I'm out running, I'm not focusing on time. I'm focusing on a destination. Every time that I'm out there for a long run, I don't, I don't time things in the matter of time, so I'm like, okay, it's already five minutes. All right, 10 minutes. 
You know, I, I'm, I look at things as part of destinations. I start memorizing landscapes, and I start thinking, okay, here comes that turn, here comes that bridge, and you start looking, and the next thing you know, it's already an hour. It's time to turn around and head back, but you're not looking at things in, in sense of time. And that's the problem with us is that we look at things from a sense of time. We think that we ought to be somewhere, and when we're not there, we get frustrated, right? But we know that with God, there is no aspect of time. God will keep us in a certain place, in a certain location for as long as He wants to, until we really get what we need to get out of Him. Amen? Again, the goal is not to read the Bible. The goal is to become a transformed Christian. Many of us want to become CrossFit Christians, disciplined Christians. The problem is, is that we go about it with the incorrect perspective. We go about it with the incorrect behavior. What we need to understand is, is that our behaviors generally point or are a reflection of our true identity. Because what you do is an indication of the type of person that you are. And that happens either consciously or unconsciously. Research has shown that once a person believes in a particular aspect of their identity, they are more likely to be in alignment with that belief. Amen? You know, I, I, um, I got this shirt from uh, one of my friends, and it's interesting because even though I have not been able to really run much in the last four or five years, I've, I've had different attempts at uh, marathon training pro, uh, uh, plans, and I've just been injured and different things, I still saw myself as a runner. And it was so cool that, that I got this shirt because um, I think it still carries that that's kind of part of my identity. It's just not an activity. It's something that I enjoy doing. It's something that, that, that I do. So once you start believing that, that truly will become part of your belief system and who you are. For example... And again, let me go back here and say, again, research shows that once a person believes a particular aspect of their identity, they are more than likely to act in alignment with that belief. For example, when we get saved, there's a shift that happens, right? There's a new identity that we take on. And for some people, it's more of an immediate transformation. For some people, it's more of a, um, a, 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 a process of transformation over time. It's like a renewal process that you go from, from glory to glory. I remember when I first got saved, I'm one of those cases where the Lord really just kind of transformed me completely. Um, this was back in June of 2001 when I came to know the Lord as my Lord and Savior. I was with Pastor Jamin and, and Pastor Olga. Uh, actually, Pastor Olga was packing all her stuff from her bedroom because she had just gotten married. They had been in a wedding. Uh, her wedding, had she had just come from your, your honeymoon. And I remember that uh, that night uh, I was with them, and the, you know the Lord had already just kind of gotten a hold of my heart, and and uh, and I remember that night. That night was just so life transforming. I remember that uh, sitting there and, and praying, and Pastor Jamie telling me, "Sir, this is the most important decision of your life." <laughs> Looking at Pastor Jamie in his beautiful blue eyes, and. I can see why Pastor Olga fell in love with him, you know. 
And I remember that as, as, uh, as he was saying that my life will never be the same, he was right. Because that night, when I, when I got on my knees and I accepted Jesus in my heart, I accepted him as my Lord and Savior, I remember, you know, I was like a secret smoker. Well, my parents, who knows? Your parents know everything, right? So I, I thought my parents didn't know that I smoked or whatever, right? But who knows if they did or not? I, I think I shared my testimony to them, so I think they know. I remember that I was driving home. I rolled down the window, and I threw a pack of smokes out, out the window. At the time, I used to work at a, uh, at a bar. I was a bartender. I had already started my job as an engineer, but I was also working at a restaurant as a bar. I remember that night calling the manager and saying, hey, listen, I'm not coming in tomorrow. I quit. Because in my mind, if I was going to follow Christ, my new identity just didn't line up with me doing a job where I was going to be doing something that, that just didn't align with that. I remember that same thing. I used to drink. I quit drinking. Remember, I had a girlfriend that I had been with at the time for four to five years. I remember I called her up and said, hey, listen, I've decided to follow Christ. A lot of the things that we're doing, we can no longer do. She thought that I was selfish, that I was crazy. Actually, as a matter of fact, a lot of people thought that I was crazy. A lot of people thought that I had been brainwashed. What they didn't realize is that my brain and my heart had been washed. Amen? I was changed and transformed, and I was never going to be the same person. And every time that people would tell me that I was not, I was not the same person anymore, I felt so good. <laughs> it felt so good. I remember there was a, a friend from, uh, from work. He was a busboy, and uh, working in the restaurant industry, right, you mess around with people, you cuss, and you do all a bunch of inap in inappropriate things. And I remember that he was like, he's like, I just, I, just, I just don't feel like you're you anymore. Can you cuss at me? Can you do this? Can you do that? He's like, I just want to see that you're still there. He just didn't realize that I was more there than I had ever been before. And see, we can all go through that transformation. Again, for some, the Lord will just come and take all this stuff away. See, and the thing is, it's not just like you're believing something different. The Lord truly does something different. To me that night, the Lord really, I had tried smoking a few times or quit smoking a few times before that. And those of you that are smokers or that were former smokers know that it's not that easy, right? You get the urge and everything else. And I'm telling you, the Lord really just did a number where I was like, I had no desire whatsoever to smoke again. I had no desire whatsoever to drink again. To this day, I don't drink. I don't need to. Just have a party with the Holy Ghost and <laughs> I'm all good, amen? <laughs> amen. And see, the thing is, is that when that happens... Your identity can just change, and you can just be a new creature, a new creation, amen? And that's what the Bible calls putting on your new self. Ephesians 4, and 25 says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put all your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in an attitude of your minds, and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and in holiness. I'm going to read that last line again. 
created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What, the, what this means is, is that we were created to really just mirror exactly who God is. But the enemy is always constantly trying to come at you with thoughts of how you acted and how you used to walk. See, he will try to trick you into thinking that you still walk in darkness. How do we ought to respond when that happens? How should we respond? Philippians 4, 6 and 8 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known made unto God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. A couple months after I got saved, and as different people were just, just attacking me, thinking that I was crazy, thinking everything. I remember that I, I was at work, and I remember that uh, the, my ex-girlfriend at the time, because I wasn't with her anymore, uh, she called me up, and she was just like being very difficult, and I was just feeling the pressure of the world, and I really just felt like, you know what? Maybe this life is just not for me. <laughs> You know, it's like, it's not worth the trouble because my life is actually be, was being turned over. Probably the most difficult first six months of my life because every th everybody thought that I was crazy. And I just felt the pressure and I felt so anxious. And, my, and our friend Erica, who was, her and her husband were here a few weeks ago. And they actually just had their baby last week. So thankful for that. Um, all the way out in California, this is back in 2001. You know, you weren't texting as much as you do now. Out of the blue, out of nowhere, and I believe that was the Holy Spirit, she texted me the scriptures, Philippians 4, 6. I mean, I was just feeling so anxious, exactly. And all I had to do was read the first word. Do not be anxious about anything. And at that moment, right away, I just felt like, whew, all the pressure, everything dropped. See, because what this scripture is telling us when the enemy is trying to come against us, first it tells, it tells us to not be anxious about anything. Second, it tells us to pray. Thirdly, it tells us that with thanksgiving to present our request to God. How does this look in practice? When the enemy tries to come at you telling him that you're still the person that you were before, or, or he's trying to condemn you because maybe you acted the way that you didn't, shouldn't have acted. This is what it looks in practice. Father, I thank you that I am no longer the person that I used to be. I thank you that I am no longer the, the person that the enemy says that I am. I thank you that I have been washed, that I have been redeemed, that I no longer walk in darkness but that your line shines through me and that I am a new man and I am a new creation and I thank you for that. See, and if we do that more often instead of feeling defeated and condemned, we would be so much more victorious if we just allow God to flow in us in that area. 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 says, casting down arguments 
And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of the Word of God. And that's exactly what the enemy is trying to do, right? Because the, the, the Word of God is saying what? That we are Christ's righteousness. That we are a new creation in Christ. But yet the enemy is trying to do something different. And this is where we really come in and we basically start saying, casting down imaginations. And anything that tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of the Word of God, against the knowledge of who I know that I am in Christ. Amen? And it says that bringing every thought captive into the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. It's about telling the enemy, I am not who you say that I am. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says, But have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for all women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. See, the key verse here is this. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Because being disciplined for the sake of discipline, sometimes there's no benefit to us. Amen? Because if we think about it, right, many of us are very disciplined at opening up our phone. What's the first app that you go to? <laughs> Facebook, social media, whatever it is, right? So it could, it could be said that we're very, very disciplined at doing that. Man, you know, when a good series comes out, we're so disciplined at being watching on Netflix, <laughs> aren't we? Right? So discipline for the sake of discipline is no, of no profit. You know, for, for some of you youngins, you know, you guys are really, really disciplined at playing Fortnite 12, 13 hours. <laughs> I, I thank God for this little button that I can just turn off like the Wi-Fi. <laughs> and magic. We have new children. Hey, how are you guys doing? I haven't seen you in a long time. Boy, you've grown. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But again, just discipline for the sake of discipline Sometimes it's not necessarily of benefit. But it says here that we ought to be disciplined for the sake of godliness. Or some of us may be really disciplined at good things. But in reality, are they any profit to us? Come on, think about it. Do you know what godliness points back to? The reason for our salvation you see, Jesus didn't just die on the cross. Jesus didn't just come because we were sinners and in need of a Savior. No. The Word says that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. But take a look at what Paul tells us in, in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. But you know what? Since the fall of man, it's been a constant struggle, hasn't it been? It's been a constant struggle between our flesh and our spirit. 
as Romans 7.15 puts it. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And many times we can even explain why we're doing those things. See, in the root of that problem, it's an issue with our identity again. What is our identity? I think that many times we confuse our identity with our purpose or the things that we want to become. Sometimes we confuse our identity with the talents that God has given us. And when we do that, we make it all about us, don't we? When in reality, it's all supposed to be about Him. It's all about Him. It all points back to Him. You know, a, a few years back, Rick Warren came out with the book, The Purpose Driven Life. And I, I really learned a lot from that book. But I think that, and this is going to be like a spoiler, but I think that many of us, when we started reading the book, we thought that at the end of the book, you were going to have like this questionnaire or this survey that tells you exactly what your purpose was and tell you exactly, oh, you're going to be an engineer, you're going to be a musician, you're going to be this and that. And at the end, it says that we were created to worship Him. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Because that's the reality. We were created by Him for Him. But we have it all wrong. We have it all messed up. We think that this life, it's about us. See, Jesus didn't just come because we were lost, because we were sinners. He came to seek and to save that which was lost according to Luke 19.10. What was lost? Us? No. Our created value and fellowship with the Father. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make men in our image according to our likeness, not physical, but a spiritual personality and moral likeness, and let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and over the entire earth, and over everything that creeps and crawls on the earth. See, we were created to what? To reflect his image. His image is what? It's his function. Thank you, sis, for that. I really appreciate that. His image is his function. What that simply means is that we are to be his hands and feet. We were created to be in constant fellowship with the Father. But when men felt that fellowship broke, it was completely destroyed. That's why Jesus tells us, right, again, we were created to be in constant fellowship with the Father. We were to put God first over everything. And that's why Jesus tells us, Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And what does it say there? And all these things will be added unto you. See, the truth of the matter is this, is that many times we go through trials and tribulations. We go through difficult times. We lose our job. We go through difficult challenges, financial challenges. And the first thing that we do is, is that we worry about ourselves, how we're going to pay our bills, how we're going to do this, how we're going to do that. But in reality, if we were to say, God, <laughs> you are so righteous. 
you are so good. You are my daddy. You take care of me. And I know that I'm going through a difficult time right now. I know that you're still going to push me through. And that even though things may look very dim right now, I know that you got me. And I'm just going to continue pursuing you. So I'm not going to worry about what I'm going to eat. <laughs> I'm not going to worry about what I'm going to sleep. I'm simply going to worry about the fact that you love me and that I am your child. And that you have me. This is why Jesus said, Matthew 16, 24, Then Jesus says to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Matthew 10, 37, Anyone who loves their father or their mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And as I read all these verses, this ultimately takes us back to one thing. You shall have no other gods before me. Because God wanted us, first and foremost, to worship him. Amen. Again, our identity is to reflect the likeness of God. Why? Because if we want to become disciplined Christians... It all has to start in who we are, the person that we want to be, and allow that to dictate our activities and the things that we want to do. But again, since the fall of man, we have been in constant struggle. God didn't want it that way. He wanted us to live in harmony, but we totally messed it up. And unfortunately, many of us have a misunderstanding of what Christianity is. And many of us think that Christianity is simply God is helping me to make it through my life. At my desk, I have a couple of things. I have like um, a, a quote that I wrote because I think I just need that constant reminder because a lot of the times you go through difficult times at work, difficult times through life. And again, sometimes... You think it's all about you. You're like, Jesus, please help me through this. God, please help me about this. And don't get me wrong. He will get you through that. But for me, the constant reminder is this. is that Jesus didn't die on the cross so that I could have a breakthrough. Jesus died on the cross because my created value was lost. The fellowship with the Father was lost. That's why Jesus died on the cross. And in the process, he also saved us. But... He just wanted for us to be able to get back into fellowship with the Father. Amen. I have a second little sign that I have right next to, and it's right by my keyboard, so every, I, I see it there. Other people that come into my office can see it there. This is that my life defines my faith. Meaning that the way that I live, the way that I react, really determines what my faith is and really where my faith stands. Amen? Then I have this one other picture of a, uh, a turtle that's sitting on top of a, a pole. The idea behind that is, is that the turtle didn't get up there by itself. Right? This is that the, the reason why I'm in the role that I am, in the position that I am at work, is because the Lord had given it to me. So I just need that constant reminder so that I know that it's not by my own doing, it's not by my own works, it's only through the grace and by the, by the grace of God that I'm, that I'm at where I'm at, amen? And again, 
A better understanding of Christianity is God is helping me to make it through my life. Instead of understanding that his life is coming in me so that I can follow him and shine as he would shine. And walk as he would walk. See, we have to understand that faith is a perspective that we live by. And sometimes it's a tool that we use to move a mountain. I'm going to say this again. We have to understand that faith is a perspective that we live by and sometimes a tool that we use to move mountains. Because when we do this, we understand who we become now that Jesus has come into our hearts. Amen? And for that reason, we don't allow things to matter more. And for that reason, we don't allow things that we are going through decide who we are and how we are. Amen? A few, five years ago, uh, I got laid off from my job. And, I, and I've, I know that I've shared this many, many times before, but I think it's, it's worth repeating. Five years ago, I lost my job. And I remember that uh, when, I, when, when I saw that people were getting laid off, I, you know, you kind of know when, when things are going on, right? I was a director of quality at, at my previous job, and I knew things were going on. Our company had gotten acquired, and we knew that there was a change of management and so on and so forth. And I remember that uh, when I got the call in my office, I was sitting in my office. I was, you know, just praying and just thanking the Lord that he's good. I remember that the uh, HR director called me. And as I'm walking down from one, one side of the building to the other, I'm walking down and I'm saying, Daddy, I thank you that you are creating provision for me. I thank you, Lord, that you have me covered. I thank you that, you're, that you are my father. I thank you that you're there with me. And I remember sitting there and... and um, in front of the HR, I had been working there for 14 years. And, and you know, I, I didn't know how the Lord was going to provide. I just knew that he was. And I remember that uh, as I'm sitting there, they're telling me, okay, well, you got still X amount of vacation. And then you also, we're going to give you a severance package. And I was like, Daddy, you're, <laughs> you're providing. And I remember that I picked up my, I picked up, you know, I, I picked up my stuff and, um, VD had, had packed me lunch that day. I remember that I stopped at a gas station and I bought a Gatorade and I went to a park and I remember I called VD. I was going to have my lunch because I was hungry, you know. <laughs> a man's got to eat. And I remember that I, I picked up the phone and I called VD and I was like, honey, it's like the Lord is giving us a new season. We're just about to go through a new season. You know, he's going to provide He's going to take care of us. You know, and I'm thankful for a wife that is, you know, so understanding and so encouraged. It's like, yes, baby, he is. <laughs> and see, when things happen like that, you don't allow circumstances to control who you are and how you are. And I trusted my daddy. And during that time, because I trust my daddy and I knew he was going to provide, I continued tithing as he was still getting paid. Because I still got paid. He provided, right? So I was still tithing, not even concerned about what I was going to go through. The company that I work with now, I interviewed with them like a week later after I lost my job. It took like four or five weeks to actually go through the entire process and get there. But get this. Um, we get paid once a month, and we get paid in advance. I started working there October 20th. November 1st, I get my paycheck, 
my first paycheck. Not only did I get my two weeks prior when I started working, I got another four weeks on top of that. <laughs> so tell me if our daddy doesn't just provide in abundance. We just got to trust him and don't allow our circumstances to determine who we are and how we are. We just simply got to trust him and say, Daddy, you're good. You're kind. The other thing I've also shared with you guys is that uh, recently we had this um, uh, thing with our septic field that, that went out. And, you know, I was getting quotes anywhere between nineteen dollars and $33,000. I think when it's all said and done, it's going to be about $24,000. I remember I told my, my wife when this happened, I was like, baby, I'm not even worried. Because I don't know who, how, but I know daddy's going to provide. I'm like, I know that he is, so I'm not even going to lose sleep over this. Right? And the Lord could really provide a check for me to be able to pay for that. Because one of the things that I have to realize and I always remember is, is that the house where we're at, it's a place of ministry. The house where we're at is a gift from God. So for that reason, I don't even worry about it. Amen? And the Lord has made it such that I've been able to, to like refinance, move other things around, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, I'm still going to be able to pay for all that without actually even spending a single dollar more than what I'm currently paying. So, again, it's a matter of perspective, right? If you trust the Lord and you just say, you know what? Somehow you're going to make a way where there is no way. He will make that way. But, again, it's all a matter of perspective. I'm not making it about me. I'm making it about Him because I'm saying, Daddy, I'm still going to glorify you. Daddy, it's all about you, and I'm your child, and I know you're going to take care of me, Daddy. So I'm not even going to worry about it. I know that you're going to provide. Surprise me. (laughs) How are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? How are you going to do it, Lord? Amen? See, we are called to shine as He would shine and walk like He would walk. Where do I get that from? 1 Peter 2.9 that says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into what? His marvelous light. We ought to walk like he does. First John 2, 4 and 6 says, He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keeps his word and truly, love, and, and truly the love of God is, in, is perfected in him, By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also walked just as he would walk. We got to let his shine, his light shine as he would and walk as he would. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, God's special possession. But you know what? For that same reason, the enemy wants to steal your identity. And the reason why we can be disciplined enough is because the enemy has already done a good job at keeping us distracted, at taking our identity and repurposing what God intended for his use to make it for him. A good example of this is found in First Daniel um, in First Daniel, in the third year 
of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim of Judah into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in, in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Asphenas, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Four young men, get this, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace, right? So he was picking the best of the best. Not only that, he was picking people that were part of what? The royal family. He was to teach them the language and literature of Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after they were, they were to enter the king's service. So let's break this down really quickly. Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylonia. He was responsible for trying to change, and I say trying to change, Daniel's name from Balthazar. If you guys can go ahead and throw that, that, um, that graph up here, please. Which means, God is my judge, to Balthazar, which means, Bel protects his life. So, Nebuchadnezzar was trying to change his name. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar had also conquered Judah, destroying Jerusalem. Some of the inhabitants of Judah were taken to Babylon, uh, Babylon as captives, including the number of the children of the royal families, as I had mentioned, to be integrated into the Babylonian society. Among those were four boys around the age of 14 at the time. Again, named Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. All of these four names had meanings connected to faith in God. But upon arrival, their names were changed by the chief official that tried giving them these names. To Hananiah, his name, which means names, Jah has been gracious. He changed his name to Shadrach, which means command of a coup in a Canadian. Uh, a coup being the name of the Babylonian god of the moon. To Mishael, whose name is who is what God is, he changed his name to uh, Misha, which means guest of a king. To Azariah, meaning Jah has help, changed his name to Abednego, which means servant of Nemo. What they were trying to do here is, is that they were trying to change their names as a way of encouraging them to forget about God and to forget about their traditions and become conformed to the gods of Babylon. But each name and his friends were given carry a meaning associated with a Babylonian um, deity. What he was trying to do, he was trying to do a forced assimilation. He was trying to make them become something that they weren't, right? What he was trying to do is, is that he was trying to get them to conform to the patterns of that world. And the, the name change was the first step of getting there. Let me ask you a question. What name is the enemy trying to change your name to? What name is the enemy trying to change your name to? Worthless? Lazy? Good for nothing? 
sick, depressed, suicidal. What name is the enemy trying to change your name to? Family, we just have to stop allowing him to change our identity because what he's trying to do is he's trying to take you a member of the royal family according to 1 Peter 2.9 and repurpose you for his service. He wants to take you and your best talents, your best abilities and make them his. How does he do this? By distracting you, making you forget your identity, making you forget why you were created. And all of a sudden, we think that everything, it's about us. All of a sudden, we think that all the talents and abilities that God gave us, that we're supposed to glorify Him, we try to use them for our own advancement. When all along He's saying, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. How many of you are truly ready to become disciplined Christians? How many of you? One, two, three, four, five. If you really want this, Your motivation has to come from the person that you want to become and not just the things that you want to do. Our behaviors are a reflection of our identity. What you do on a daily basis is an indication of the type of person that you believe that you are, either consciously or unconsciously. That's why there's such a big difference at what happens when you're here on Sundays and you feel the presence of the Lord and you feel His presence and you feel His Spirit and you feel His touch. But yet, that doesn't reflect or carry out into the rest of the week. If we're going to be disciplined Christians, there's got to be a level of consistency that we practice, a level of consistency that we do. Because true behavior change is identity change. And our identity is to reflect the likeness of God. To shine as He would shine and to walk as He would walk. We can't allow the enemy to make you forget your identity. We can't allow the enemy to repurpose us. How do we do that? How do we do that? You know, when I, when I think of examples of like truly disciplined Christians, there's one lady that comes to mind.
And you see, I get, I get emotional because Mama Lugo, she's 91 years old. And she has a deep understanding of why Jesus came. She understands and she allows Christ to live in her and shine as he would and walk as he would. She is so disciplined. Every morning, she wakes up and she prays. She has a list of different people. I know that she prays for me on a daily basis. She goes and has her breakfast, comes back and reads the word. And in between, she fills her day with listening to TV shows that are preaching the gospel, finding ways of serving other people. See, and so many times, Mama says, this is the last time I do something for somebody that I'm going to cook and stuff because she's just feeling tired. But then next week, <laughs> she's doing it because that's part of who she is. It's part of her identity. At night, before she goes to bed, she reads Psalms and she prays a little bit more just to cap it off. She is disciplined for the sake of godliness. And we're so thankful for her. I'd like to do something for Mama. Um, her, her daughter was going through some health issues. And I just want to return the favor because I know that she's always praying for us. Could we just take a moment to lift up her daughter in prayer right now? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Mama Lugo and for the great example of faith that she is. Daddy, I, I pray that as you have often hear her prayers towards other Christians, I thank you, Daddy, that right now you are listening to us, Lord, and then you are touching her daughter's health, Lord. And that you're touching her and healing her and making her whole again, Daddy. So, Daddy, we just thank you right now that you are hearing us and that you are doing that. We love you, Lord. Praise, honor, and glory. Amen. Hallelujah. There's some other notes here that I have here. I'm just going to go ahead and close now and uh, um, take a take a, a, a picture of, of some of the things. And I think there's another, another a slide with some other points. And I think these are some good spiritual disciplines that we ought to follow uh, that will help us become disciplined Christians, just as I see Mama here. I personally receive so much from... From Grandma Lugo, um, I pick her up every Sunday, and I drop her off every Sunday as well. And I cherish those moments because she speaks to my spirit. You know, it's like interesting because two weeks ago, 
she encouraged me with this. She basically, you know, the Holy Spirit will just drop something. And she basically said, you be you. <laughs> just be you. Just speaking to my identity. And as I was getting ready to do this sermon, her words came to mind. It's like, wow, she's always on time. She is so timely. If we want to become disciplined Christians, again, we have to understand that faith is a perspective that we live by. We have to understand and not allow other things to matter more than God. We just have to learn to abide in Him. Some of my, uh, one of the verses that when I came to the Lord that really got me there was listening to this verse. My, my favorite verse, Sister Stacy's favorite verse. I'm going to start off with verse 3 that says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. When I see that feed on His faithfulness, it simply means saying, He is faithful. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. He is faithful. And then it says, Delight yourself also in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. See, and when we're doing this, in reality what we're doing is simply this. So we're just abiding in Him. We're just holding on and abiding in Him. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you came. That you came, Father, not just because we were lost, but you came to save that which was lost. And we thank you, Daddy, that our identity is being redefined right now, God. That we're understanding, Lord, that this life is not about us. It's not about works. It's not about the things that we do, Lord. Yes, you have called us to do certain things. You have called us to read. You have called us to pray. You have called us to tithe. You have called us to serve. You have called us to fellowship with other believers. And we do that not to gain your grace or anything else. Because grace has already been given and extended unto us. We do that because we believe that that's who we are. That's part of our identity. We don't come to church and that defines that we're Christians. What defines that we are Christians is that you came for us, that we accepted you as Lord and Savior. And we do these things because they help to strengthen us and get us to the place where we ought to be. So, Daddy, we just thank you, Lord, that you are good. We thank you that you are kind and that right now you're shifting our way of thinking, that you're shifting our mentality. We love you, Lord. We give you praise. We give you all honor, all glory. 
And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for listening to this week's message on the Impact Church Aurora podcast. Please feel free to subscribe, rate, and review. For more information or to give, please visit us at www.impactchurchaurora.com. Now, go out into the world and continue making an impact.